0: Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories, available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr.
1: We're at the Christian Baker Farm near historic Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest today is author Cheryl Woodruff Brooks. She's the author of The Story of Madam Sarah Spencer Washington and the Apex Empire. Author Cheryl Woodruff Books introduces a new generation of children to the story of the life of Madam Sarah Spencer Washington, founder of the Apex News and Hair Company, once located in Atlantic City, New Jersey. In 1911, a Virginia entrepreneur moved to Atlantic City and started selling cosmetics door-to-door and styling hair in her basement, growing her business into an empire. Sarah opened a small manufacturing company creating hundreds of products and hired 45,000 sales agents all over the world. Madam Sarah Spencer Washington also opened beauty schools in 1939 as one of the most distinguished businesswomen. She continued to expand Apex internationally, doing business in Haiti and South Africa. Madam Washington acquired millionaire status in the 1940s, taking on roles as a civic leader and philanthropist. Cheryl's passion for writing began as a child and won her a Martha Holden Jennings Essay Scholarship in high school and another Essay Scholarship for the National Black MBA Association. Cheryl wrote articles for The Weather Vane for Case Western Reserve University, which is her alma mater school newspaper, and has been a contributing writer for Bronze Magazine, a globally successful magazine for women. Since college, Cheryl has written for many journals and magazines, has spoken before numerous groups, and has been interviewed by newspapers on radio and podcasts about the history of Chicken Bone Beach and Madam Sarah Spencer Washington. Cheryl is also a professional vocalist, writing songs for her own music projects as well as other artists. Chicken Bone Beach has been nominated for a, for a 2017 Literary Award with the Schomburg Center in New York City. Welcome, Cheryl Woodruff Brooks.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be
1: here. So, so much to say about you, um, but I, I think I'll I'll just say to the audience that y- your work has been both, um, you know, historical works for more of an adult audience. The Chicken Bone Beach book being the first one, and then the... Uh, was it Madame Beauty Boss, Golden Beauty Boss? Golden Beauty Boss. Yeah. But then you've had the children's books that come out, um, Chicken Bone Beach, and then the the story of Madam Sarah Spencer Washington, which I used in the opening. So maybe talk a little bit about uh, your work and why you switch back and forth between an adult book and then a, a children's book.
2: I wanted to reach a larger audience especially since there's so many pieces of American history that don't necessarily make school curriculum. Um, And a lot of times when I've done book talks or speaking engagements, um, people have said to me that this is the kind of information that they also want to share with their kids. So I thought, why not? Why not just extend... Uh, the audience to a younger age and make the information um, available for them.
1: Well, I must say, I, I know when we first met some time ago, we were working on the Chicken Bone Beach project. Uh, you had those pictures, and I think the first thing we did was an exhibition at, at our art gallery of the pictures. And it was. That's right. I remember being stunned by just to show how naive I was and how sheltered and maybe privileged is the right word. uh, Totally unaware that, I mean, not, not totally unaware, but hadn't been thinking about or conscious of the fact that there was a place called chicken bone beach, which was a segregated beach in New Jersey. And when you started to uh, share that with me and I started to look into it and read about it, I was fascinated by this story and also by, you know, how it, it kind of turned into uh, a hub that everybody wanted to go to. Maybe talk a little bit about Chicken Bone Beach first, and then we'll, we'll talk about uh, Madam Sarah.
2: Sure. Uh, you know, a lot of people, including African Americans, were unaware that Missouri Avenue Beach, which is the name that has been established for it, they weren't aware that it was a segregated beach. They just simply thought it was the gathering place that African Americans chose who lived in Atlantic City. And in some ways, that was the case. Um, Chicken Bone Beach was the closest beach to the African American neighbor. Um, hotel owners who were seeking to to profit economically by turning Atlantic City into a resort town Um, were approached by many white Southerners who had never uh, seen uh, the desegregation of people during the early 1900s. So a lot of them came to Atlantic City to visit and noticed that blacks and whites were able to socialize on any beach. And they did not want that in front of the hotels they were staying at. So Hotel owners wrote to African-American churches in Atlantic City asking them to congregate exclusively at Chicken Bone Beach. Uh, so that's why a lot of folks did not know that it was a segregated beach. It, I think yeah. it was a manner in which it was presented to the African-American community Um and I gather from my years of research that the North, quite honestly, um, they had their own way of it, hanging signs that said white only or colors only. So it was very subtle in the way they did it. And again, they were trying to grow this resort town at a time where, you know, they were a pretty hot choice. Um, there had yet to have been established that. Uh, Disneyland or World, uh, Las Vegas was not the uh, the party town it is today, and so Atlantic City wanted to um, take advantage of this. Um, but African Americans from various parts in mostly within like the states adjacent to New Jersey, Maryland, Virginia, um, New York. The state of Pennsylvania, in particular, all flocked to Chicken Bone Beach because they did hear it was um, a safe gathering place um, to get a bed and breakfast, um, take your kids to various locations, and feel as though you know you you would be just fine to enjoy yourself without any disruption or causing any type of. Uh, Conflict or at least uh, Not being a part of it Um, At the same time Many African Americans In the entertainment Industry in particular Were seeking work And a place like um, Chicken Bone Beach area Started to attract uh, Many celebrity entertainers Or at least who we know now uh, In that capacity Such as Sammy Davis Jr., Nina Simone, uh, Ray Charles. I mean, you could just kind of go down the list of uh, well-known entertainers bringing, uh, bringing America Jazz in the 1940s and the 1930s. And it was that music, truly, that broke the color lines and caused um, those white vacationers and And people in New Jersey to come to the side of town where the African-American community lived and partake in uh, all that they had to offer.
1: Well, I, I just find this story fascinating. Unfortunately, we've got to take a break. When we get back, I have a lot more questions for you about Chicken Bone Beach. We'll be right back.
0: Sunbury Press Books brings the reader unique and independent works of fiction and non-fiction. Oxford Southern is our educational and academic imprint. Releases such as Philip Mosley's Telling of the Anthracite, Art a la Carte, a memoir of a wayfaring art teacher by Marianne Bickett, and Mildred Schindler jansens autobiography, Surviving Hitler, Evading Stalin. Click on the Oxford Southern link for more at sunburypress.com.
1: I'm back with Cheryl Woodruff Brooks the author of Chicken Bone Beach and also the story of Madam Sarah Spencer Washington. Um, Cheryl, I'm curious about the the segregation there at the beach. It sounds like this wasn't like the state of New Jersey uh, coming down and saying, you know, you must segregate by race at the beach. It sounds like it was more of a local economic decision and was somewhat, was it voluntarily adhered to? By the people at the African-American churches, or, I guess, was there any angst or upset about this? Or was it just pretty much, hey, that's actually a pretty good idea?
2: No. Hard to say? As far as as segregation in Atlantic City, I mean, it truly did exist. And it truly did exist beyond the shores of the beach. Um, African-Americans were also not permitted to make use of businesses that existed on the south side of town, which is primarily where um, whites lived. And a lot of what they needed um, for their everyday life was on the south side. Things like doctor's offices and banks. Um, This caused the African-American community to also come together And create many of their own Businesses Mm -hmm. Um, They opened a credit union There were Several doctors who Got together and Pulled their resources to open A drugstore So Segregation did exist Beyond just Where um, African Americans Could socialize And Blacks were in agreement. Um, they needed their, their jobs. They needed those jobs at the hotels. Many people were employed as hotel workers in various capacities. Um, they pulled the rolling carts down boardwalk. Um, they kind of didn't have a choice.
1: Yeah. I do think it's interesting, though, that, you know, one of the responses was the entrepreneurship that, that you've talked about, too. And that, you know, while there was the the unfortunate situation of the segregation, there was also some opportunity. And it sounds like maybe the silver lining in the end is that it, Chicken Bone Beach sort of becomes a destination that a lot of people want to go to because it, it's a lively and fun place with the great entertainment that you talked about. And uh, maybe discuss that just a little bit here for a few minutes.
2: There was a time in Atlantic City where black they had their heyday, not just the black community, but Atlantic City at large. They had some of the most beautiful hotels in America. Um, I even researched and found out that Prince Albert Honeymoon in Atlantic City. Um, so Atlantic City uh, had a moment in time where um, they were a destination vacation area for the wealthy, for um, for families. Um, there were these huge dance halls um, where. People got all dressed up and danced the night away in ballrooms. Um, I talked to several people who lived in Atlantic City growing up, and they would tell me how loud it would be if you were to uh, go down near the boardwalk. So it—it it really was. It was a party town. It, there was women, wine, and song, as they say. Um, there was political corruption. And you can find out a great deal about that if you uh, if you have HBO and you take a look back at the min- miniseries Boardwalk Empire, where yeah. they, they talk about uh, prohibition and um, they talk about um, you know the gangsters of those days. So it was very much uh, a really happening place in that regard. Also in my oral history interviews I can't tell you how many um, people from Atlantic City as I asked about you know what their parents did in Atlantic City or their grandparents they they would say to me oh you know my dad owned a bar my mom owned a restaurant my mom was a showgirl you know it's just everyone in town seemed to be working in some way shape or form in the entertainment business
1: now, kind of segueing to uh Madam Sarah Spencer Washington, she's also in that community, right? And yep.
2: uh, she moved to Atlantic City with her mother um, in the early nineteen thirties, being told um that salt water had healing properties. I mean people used to actually believe that and her mom had been sick. And she was this young lady aspiring to uh, become an entrepreneur, and she moved into that same community near Chickenbone Beach called the north side and and began to grow her empire and simultaneously create jobs for people in Atlantic City and people of color.
1: Well you mentioned. I mentioned in the opening about 45,000 sales agents. Now I think about you know how many, how many associated people she had with this enterprise. That, that is a large organization. Now the sales agents are probably maybe they're not all employees of her empire. Maybe they're independents who also sell other things, but that's a lot of people representing her. Um, and how, over how many years did this this empire grow? Sounds like it happened fairly rapidly.
2: It did uh, She started in the early 1930s um, During the Depression And she lasted Or at least she, she passed in 1953 So she grew this business I would say very strongly Within a 25 year span um, And it was clearly by the late 1930s that it really started to take off. I, I feel like um, not only was she an intelligent woman herself, but she surrounded herself um, with people who truly supported what she was doing and fed into her great strategies for growth, Um and I feel like she was very well connected as I started to research her. And so um, she knew a lot of people. She traveled to other countries and made th- those connections. So she had sales agents in other countries. Um, and her, her reach as far as media also took off in these other countries as well. She went as far as at, at times to help um, students that wanted to attend her school get immigration papers, and so she, she she had a she had a wide reach, and so I have a funny feeling that um, she was approached, especially as her sales grew and her presence around America grew, um, there were more people approaching her about ideals for going even further. So I feel like Madame Sarah Spencer Washington was well connected and knew what it meant to network as well as market.
1: Yeah. So what happened to the Apex Empire? Was she bought out? Oh, Did she sell? Yeah. Did it collapse? Uh, is it still around today?
2: It is not still around today, unfortunately, um, Which is which was the most for me, heartbreaking part of doing her research. I don't think I would have had a book had I not been curious to answer just that question you posed. Um, She left the company to her niece, who she had been grooming to take over the business um, at some point, and especially after Madam Sarah Spencer Washington Knew that she was getting really ill She had diabetes So She Her niece Did take over the business And actually Increased Sales and expanded The business in the 1950s Um, I would Say that some of the Choices made um, from the high, higher end, from her senior staff, um, caused the demise in some ways. Um, Joanne is her name, Joanne Washington. She got married, started having kids, and I truly believe that she was a bit torn between running a household and running a business. And she allowed others to step in and start to make choices, one of which was her own husband, from Atlantic City to Camden. Uh, It was like front page news that the business was moving, which meant that hundreds of people were going to lose their jobs. So This was huge, and I can only imagine how heartbreaking it was for those who were devoted to working. Uh, at Apex and knew Sarah personally. I don't believe she would have ever left if she were still alive. I don't think she would have moved the company out of Apex. I mean, excuse me, out of Atlantic City. Um, so sales started to plummet a bit um, as resources were pulled into new projects and then still some business in Atlantic City. And it just never... Um, they were never able to sustain the same amount of, of revenue. Yeah. So I would, yeah, I would attribute it to um, some decisions that didn't lead to being profitable. And eventually Joanne sold the business to a small company that was involved in nails and kind of manicure, pedicure business. Um, So it's quite disappointing, you know, to uh, find out about this amazing woman, her extraordinary business, Um, and I truly believe had it been managed properly and the right decisions were made, we'd still be hearing about Apex. I do believe the groundwork she laid for the business put it in a position to sustain itself just as long as, other companies we've seen in America, like an Anheuser-Busch or an IBM. I really think she had staying power.
1: Well, on that note, we are going to take another break. I'm talking to Cheryl Woodruff Brooks. We'll be right back.
0: Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of independent authors and serves readers young and old alike. Speckled Egg Press is our juvenile nonfiction imprint. Check out works from authors like Joanne Risso, author of Over the Sea and In the Field, Dan Shudder's The Mouse with a Broken Tail, or The Amazing Adventures of Solomon Screech Owl, brought to us by Beth Lencion. Click on the Books tab at sunburypress.com and find an author and a story you'd like to know.
1: I'm back with Cheryl Woodruff Brooks, the author of the story of Madam Sarah Spencer Washington and other books. And uh, one thing I'm struck by, on the one hand fantastic entrepreneurship, business acumen, great skill. It it takes a very inventive, creative, and energetic person to grow a business from nothing to something as large as she did in such a short amount of time. And also seeing that it's not like she had the excuse of the Great Depression for the end of her business. It wasn't that that led to its collapse. It was more that the the biggest challenge that a lot of startups or businesses have, if privately owned businesses have, is that second generation handoff. So how do you how do you execute that, and how does that go? And it sounds like that didn't go very well for whatever reason. But um, what would you say her legacy is today? How is she remembered today?
2: Um, she's a lot more uh, popular than I. Imagine, so yeah, my hope was to uh, inform a much larger audience of of the work of Madame Sarah Spencer Washington in her her very short um, visit to this planet, and um, since I have written the book, she's had a grandson, Royston Scott, who's donated some of her artifacts to the African-American Smithsonian Museum. Um, last year, there was a mural of her painted. Um, it's huge, too. I went and took a picture next to it, and it's, it's, it's really prominent in Atlantic City. you got to go off the boardwalk, though. Yeah. I wish I could tell you the exact street it's on, but it's very close to where her historical marker is. Uh, she also has a scholarship in her name at Stockton University. Um, and then there's one other... Oh, and she received a New Jersey Hall of Fame induction a couple of years ago. So, so I'm really happy that all of these um, things have happened Uh, for her as of late. And I really humbly like to think that a part of it is getting the literary work out about her, as well as her grandson doing a really short documentary on her as well.
1: Yeah, she is definitely an interesting person. I mean, usually, entrepreneurs with that kind of success, there's multiple books or articles about them. And even t- television programs and histories and so on and so forth. And this is this is definitely one that was overlooked and should be uh, should be highlighted. Uh, another question for you, though. Uh, we only have a few minutes before we got to wrap, but I am curious about Missouri Avenue Beach. What's that like today? How how is the Chicken Bone Beach era remembered, if at all?
2: It's getting. A little more attention In many ways There is now A historical marker there With Some of the same photos That I used in the book And some other ones But the same photographer John W. Mosley So when you go to Atlantic City now You will see a marker about Chicken Bone Beach In front of Missouri Avenue Beach Uh, One of the more popular events that have uh, come to light over the years. Um, I was approached by an organization called Black Girl Beach Day. They asked me to come and speak and be a vendor at their their annual event. And this is a group of uh, young African American millennials who decided initially to just get together with their friends and you know, just hang out at the beach, and it just really caught on, and it started in Camden, New Jersey. Well, every year they would do it. I think they did it for a couple of years, maybe two or three. Every year, more and more girls started coming to their beach event Till so they said, you know, this place isn't big enough. we got to find somewhere else to, to hold this, and they did research, and they learned about the history of Chicken Bone Beach, and so they have been holding Black Girl Beach Day there since 2019. They've been talked about in Essence Magazine. They um, And they're not only just a bunch of young women gathering, but they're educating their um, visitors to the history of Chicken Bone Beach as well as offering things like swim lessons and surfing lessons to also increase um, African Americans' knowledge and involvement in in those um, activities that many of our race haven't been involved in, like surfing and, and, and even swimming. It's probably the biggest thing I know about um, what's going on at Chicken Bone Beach, but it, if you go there, you know, it's just one of the beaches, and you can choose to hang out at it. Yeah. Um, but I am really excited that it's being looked upon, you know, as a place to gather and remember, you know, black history from from the early 1900s.
1: Well, Cheryl, I'd have to think, and I know you're a very modest person, but I'd like to think that your work has... Maybe not been the main reason why some of this has happened, but I'm sure it has been had a contributing factor to it, and uh, really appreciate the research and writing that you're doing what What are you working on next yet? Do you have another project that that you're into?
2: So I have continued to research segregated beaches across America, and I'm still just researching and taking notes. Because I'd like to do um, my next really big book, a compilation of all that I've learned about all of the once segregated beaches and resort areas that blacks uh, gathered. And it's been some really, really interesting stuff. They have a, you know, all the beaches have some commonalities, but there are there are some interesting uh, pieces on how, how, the, how it came to be a black beach. You know, in some ways, like a chicken bone beach, they were told to go to a certain beach where, f- for example, there's, there once was an African-American beach called Lincoln Beach in New Orleans where African-American civic leaders continued to demand from the city a place where they would be permitted to gather, until the city finally said, "Okay, we'll make a place for you." Or so every every city that I found out about just has a little different take. So yeah, I'm just researching it and um, seeing where it takes me. The wow. goal is for me to become a subject matter expert of segregated beaches.
1: Well, you are certainly building a resume, that's for sure. Cheryl, it's been great having you on. I look forward to having you back uh, and looking into whatever project you have next. Uh, So far, so good. They've been fantastic. Love the uh, children's books as well as they come out.
2: Thank you, and thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts.